you, you grow up as a child of an alcoholic, you don't trust people. But Mark, I trusted. I throw open the door as he's leaning over, getting ready to do a line of Coke. And I looked at him and I ran downstairs, I grabbed my coat and he's like, well, what are you doing? And I said to him, I would rather get shot in the middle of Baltimore than be in a relationship with a drug addict. And I just started walking. So it went after her and got her. And then just, I guess it's just like with music, it clicked in me and I was like, okay, I'm done. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast. I am so thankful that you're with us today. Um, this is one of my favorite episodes that we're going to record because I'm with Mark and Pam Muller, who are leaders at Collective. Um, who have literally put their blood, sweat, and tears uh, into this church. And more importantly, they are the couple that I trust the most when it comes to conversations about marriage, whether that's premarital counseling or um, current marriage counseling. Um, they are a gift from God to collective because they, they do all those things for me. Um, they're also my wife and I's wedding buddies. Uh, Mark and Pam tend to do premarital counseling, and then when I do weddings, we always sit together. Um, and so I've heard a lot of their story, um, typically while eating and drinking and you know having fun. And so I'm excited for you guys to hear part of this as well, um, because if you are thinking about marriage or if you're about to get married or you are in a marriage right now that you feel like is struggling, the moment you email me, the first thing I do is say, hey, you've got to meet Mark and Pam. And this is going to be a really good opportunity for you to hear some of their story before you ever meet them. And so I'm really excited that you guys are with me today and um, that, that you guys get to share your story on a broader sense, you know, because you guys always share it when you do counseling. Um, and really, it's, it's shaped a lot of people's lives in, in this church and in Frederick and all over this area. And so uh, I'm really excited for you guys to be with me today. And so uh, we're going to start with the opening question, which is not a great icebreaker for any sort of social gathering. But because this is a podcast and we talk about heavy things, we just jump right into it. And so, Pam, we're going to start with you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? And talk a little bit about what was faith like uh, in that childhood, if there was faith at all. Sure. So I am one of three. I'm the baby of my family. Um, both parents were married. I grew up in Baltimore County. Um, I think when I was 12, I moved to Howard County. And, you know, I was really thinking about how to explain my childhood. And I think the best way to describe it is smoke and mirrors because um, my dad had his own business so he started his business a year before I was born so I didn't see my dad really for the first 10 to 12 years of my life wow. 
I would go see him when my mother would take him dinner at night, and that was the only time I would see him because he would work 12, 14 hours a day. Um, my mom, a uh, very high-functioning alcoholic, um, overwhelmed with three children. There probably wasn't a week in my life that she didn't tell me that um, she didn't want more children, that um, I was, you know, a burden. It was too much to have three. So it, it was very much you're not wanted, yeah. and it was very clear. So that was, that was very difficult. You know, as a child, I was a very kind of pensive child. So um, she would, it, I had a lot of health issues when I was little. I um, was taken to the hospital when I was five because I had to have some surgery. And, you know, she took me there, was there for about an hour, then just left. Wow, five years old? Five years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that, that was difficult. You know, be, because she wasn't really involved. You know, I, ha I had a, a lovely house that I lived in. You know, I had food. I had clothes. Yeah, yeah. I had all, all the essentials that you would think. Um, but no involvement whatsoever in my life. You know, you're on your own, yeah. basically. It was very clear. And when I was about 9 or 10, um, it, was, it was a difficult situation because she wasn't involved. And um, adults took advantage of me. I was abused. Um, which was tough. I went to her twice after I went to her the second time and she basically said, here, here's some medicine for you and go back to bed. And at that point I realized I'm on my own. Yeah. I got to figure this out myself. So I was like, all right, well then I got to be really perceptive when I go into a room. I got to figure out who's going to hurt me, who's not going to hurt me, what's, what's going to happen. So that was kind of my mindset as I was growing up. Um, and I've also told Funny, a lot of our couples, um, I've said, you know, anger served me very well. Sure. It yep. propelled me into things that, you know, it, okay, she sent me to a high school. I didn't know one person when I walked in. Nobody, you know, because it was a new area. I knew no one. She didn't give me any help. Um, and I thought, all right, well, let me figure this out. By the time I graduated, I was in all the, the clubs, committees. I was homecoming queen. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this really sure. well. When I went to college, same thing. If I'm going to go to college, I'm not going to graduate with honors. I'm going to graduate with highest honors. Wow. Always trying to prove that I was this really good person yeah. because I never had it from her. Um, so that it, it served me well in my accomplishments. Sure. Um, now, my dad, as I said, I never really saw him because he was working all the time. But he, he really was, once I was with him, he was more my champion. Okay. He was always the one who kind of protected me from her, yeah. more or less. Um, so it's, it's a very strained relationship yeah. with my family. Yeah. It's never been loving or, you know, I, um, I go to counseling. I've gone to counseling for a long time. Yeah. And I remember my, my therapist saying, on a scale of 1 to 10, what was your emotional support? And I said zero because yeah. it really was zero. Um, so that, that was kind of it yeah. for my childhood. And it, it was more me figuring out my path, figuring out how to get smart, how to get equipped, sure. how to figure out how to take care of myself yep. because it wasn't going to happen at home. Yeah. Yeah. And even at a young age, Very nine young or 10 age. years old, you're figuring out how to survive, how to survive, Yep, how to thrive in yeah. a place that doesn't allow no. thriving. What was your relationship like with your siblings? And, and what, is there a big age gap or a small um, age gap? My brother and I are three. My sister and I are nine. Okay. So my sister, I really don't remember yeah. her being that involved. Yeah. My brother, um, somewhat like, you know, we were kind of, as were most kids my age, were kicked outside all day. 
Sure. You know, yeah. and that's what you did. You went outside yeah. and you played in the neighborhood. Um, so that that was that. But he was very active with his friends. You know, I remember, and I've shared with Mark very clearly, I remember walking out of my house and thinking to myself, who's mad at me and who's going to hurt me today? Wow. And that was kind of the mindset that I had to have. Sure. What's, what's interesting when stuff like that happens to specifically with a nine-year difference Mm -hmm. is the perspective is just completely different and I have a big gap between some of my siblings and as I've gotten older I realize like hey what I went through like you didn't go through or what I saw you didn't see but what you went through and experienced I didn't go through and so even though a lot of times people think oh you have these siblings and you're all going through this together it's like it's like three very different responses to it you know some people protect, some people fall into destruction, you know. Mm-hmm. And so even having siblings, siblings around doesn't make it yeah. easy. No, my know? siblings didn't help at all. Yeah. You know. So growing up, you know, was faith involved in your life at all? You know, because Maryland's a very it was. It's not it's not this way anymore. But specifically growing up in Baltimore, Baltimore was a very religious city for a very long time. And you know, people are moving away from that, but we still feel remnants of that in, in Maryland. Did you guys go to church at all? Was there belief in God, like anything like that? That's the irony of the situation, um, because my family, uh, Roman Catholic, went to a Catholic school, you know, okay. yeah, for up until eighth grade. My siblings went to Catholic high school, Catholic college. So, I mean, it was very part of our daily lives. My community was my school because that's, we were all together. Um, and the really cool thing, and you know, this is where I see God's hand, is the nuns. Mm. The nuns yeah. were just, y- you hear these horrible stories about the nuns, how they sure. were so yeah. strict. You're and the this, first and, you know, person to say. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, because yeah. they were, they were tough, but the nuns also constantly breathing into me positivity. Yeah. And you know, you're special, God loves you, you're gonna go great places. So they yeah. really were my lifeline. Yeah during that time. And I, I always knew that God was there. I, he was just in his compartment. Sure, you know, sure. Because that's what it is, it's a compartment. Yeah. Um, so I always think of God kind of, at that point in my life, I was like, he was my vending machine. Sure. I put my prayers in yeah, and I yeah. pray for this, this and this, and then boom, I pull the lever and I'll get this out. Yeah. So it was very compartmentalized. Yeah, that's interesting because um, you know, we've had people share on the podcast before about having a Catholic experience growing up and not all of them are great. But one of the things I try to point out is like, it's less about the denomination, more about the people, right? If the people embody who Christ is, it doesn't matter what denomination the church is, you experience that and you feel that. Um, what was that like having that experience with school and like feeling the love of God, but then going home? My mother, I think she felt it more, well, I'm covered because I'm sending you to a Catholic sure, school. Sure, sure. Yep. So I'm sending you to a Catholic school. They're doing all the stuff. I did what I needed to do. So again, just kind of leave me alone. Don't bother me. I'm giving you food. I'm giving you shelter. Um, that's about it. Yeah. You know, figure the rest out on your own. Yeah. And she, um, but, but she was not that way with my siblings. Okay. You know, at all. My brother was, you know, the angel child. My sister was older, and I think she related to her more kind of in a, as an adult situation. Um, yeah, Mark teases, and he always says, I swear you're not her biological child. Yeah. I swear, you know, he calls me Cinderella. He's like, okay, Cinderella, now what's going on, yeah. you know, yeah. because of it. But so it, it was very, 
I think it was like she was checking boxes. Sure. Okay, I can't do this, um, so I'm going to check the box and send her to people who can. Yeah. Um, which, in the end, really saved me yeah. from from where I could have gone. Sure, yeah. You know, they were there, and they really made a, a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and in couching all that, I also understand that, you know, my mother's an alcoholic, and with that, there's mental health issues. So you can't expect logic from an illogical mind yeah. at that point yeah um so pam one of the things that you and i have talked about um because we, we talk about everything and um one of the things that you and i have talked about is when it comes to addiction is that it's typically the symptom of right and people look at addiction and go well just stop and and i've struggled with that right as who has a father is an alcoholic where it's like dude just stop drinking. Like if you, if you want to live a different life, if you want to be a better father, if you want to be a better anything, just stop doing this. And it just doesn't work that way. Cause typically it's a symptom of something else. And it's like your mother is responding to her own brokenness, her own pain, her own fears, her own mental health, choosing alcohol as the thing that she's holding on to, the hope really. And it just leads to more pain and destruction in the lives of children. And then you then have to battle addiction and struggling with like this is you know part of my family do I go that same road do I go a different road you know do I protect myself from this or do I just lean right in and and follow along in those footsteps and so you know the hard thing about growing up with a parent who's an alcoholic is it's like a roller coaster and you never know are they mad today are they happy today you know there's a piece of you that just wishes they would be blacked out you know, and that is a hard thing to say when you're 10 years old going, it's better for me if you are so drunk that you can't function. Um, but at the same time, like even looking at kids, it's not really the thing that fixes it and saying, well, I love these children. Therefore, I'm going to change. It's like, no, you got to dig into the past stuff. And as kids, we can never solve that. And even as adults with our parents, we can't we can't solve that either. OK, so you go to high school. Uh, where did you go to college? Um that's a, that's a journey in itself. Yeah. So <laughs> I graduated with my undergraduate degree from Towson okay. University. Um, from there, I went to pharmacy school at the University of Maryland, got my pharmacy degree. And then since that wasn't enough, yeah. I decided to go back, I don't know, five years ago and get my doctorate degree from Shenandoah University. Yeah. So I've, I've have, I have a whole litany of college, yeah. but I love college. Yeah. I love learning. Yeah. I love, you know, that really was how I kind of resolved a lot in my mind you know, to understand. My undergrad was in psychology, drug and substance abuse counseling. That was my focus. And it was, you know, my mind, my child mind, trying to understand my adult, in in an adult situation. So I really tried to push the envelope. And I was the one out of the kids who was saying to my mother, something's not right. You have an issue. This needs to be addressed. And I'm sure that made her dislike me even more, you know? Sure, sure. But so, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's jump back in time and Mark, let's turn to you and eventually we'll get to a point where you guys meet, um, which is a story in and of itself. Cause I think if people meet you guys, they're like, this doesn't fully make sense. And so, um, Mark, tell us about yourself, where you grew up, what your family was like, um, and then what role did faith play in your childhood as you grew up? All right. I grew up in Maryland in uh, Northern Baltimore County, your typical uh, suburban neighborhood in the 50s and 60s. Dad worked, mom stayed at home mom. I was the middle of three boys. <clears throat> My two brothers were, I would say, um, 
the milkman's son because my two brothers, if you meet them, they're nothing like me whatsoever. Uh, in fact, as my sister-in-law said, well, you know, you were different. You were more feminine. <laughs> so I guess the musician in me or whatever. But um, I was very um, shy, introverted, um, quiet. I was kind of the nerd. I got picked on in school. I got beat up a lot. Didn't understand. I'm just trying to be nice to everybody. I tried to fit in with everybody. You know, why is this happening? You know, I would always kid and say if, you know, they're picking teams and there was a kid in a wheelchair and me, they'd pick the kid in the wheelchair and not me. Uh, I remember walking home from junior high school one day and saying, you know, if I run out in front of that car, I'll end this. I just didn't understand. Yeah. You know, I knew I knew of God. My parents were very devout Christians, very dedicated, um, but they were way over the top, very hypocritical. Um, you know, look at look at how great we are, but don't really look at sure. what we're like. So I struggled with that a lot. Um, it was a safe neighborhood, had some friends. Um, had really good friends at our, our original church. Uh, don't know what happened, but my parents moved us, and that stripped me from all my friends. They wouldn't, so I was there was a void in junior high and high school, which I just, I hated school. Um, finding out later in life, I had ADHD, yeah. and that's why I didn't get along too well in school, because I was bored. Yeah. Things didn't, didn't move well enough. And started working, so I, I I went to college, started college, went two years of community college, and was pretty much asked to leave with a 1.3 GPA because wow. I just wasn't into it. Yeah. Didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, my dad had a manufacturing firm, so I started working for him. Um, became a journeyman machinist, started making parts, and really fell in love with that craft. Worked for him for hmm, probably 10 years, and his partner was killed. Wow. So he sold his share of the business out, which I used to dream about. You know, take. I used to go sit in his office on Sundays. I used to work for him, but then I used to clean the offices for him. I'd sit in his chair and prop my feet up and pick the phone up and pretend, oh, I'm the president of this company and couldn't wait to get there. Well, he wound up buying another company and brought my older brother in with him. So that kind of really twerked me. So I had played music part-time, you know, just local bands that played at typical Catholic high school yeah. dances and stuff. Yeah. So I quit sold everything, grew my hair down to my butt, and made a hard left-hand turn away from everything I knew. And fortunately, um, got a lucky break, so became popular very quickly. Yeah. Got in some regional bands, touring, um, and then that's when uh, life kind of went crazy for me. I mean, God was always there. I knew there was a God, knew there was a presence. But then when I got into music, you know, I always say my drum roadie when I was playing full-time, I trusted him more with my life and my emotions than I trusted my parents or trusted people at my parents' church. I mean, I used to go to church with long hair, and people looked down on me like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. And I'm like, you don't know who I am. Just, I'm looking apart. You know, this is the business I'm in. And I used to remember sitting back playing my drums and watching the guys in front of me and seeing the harem of women that rotated amongst those guys, you know, this night this girl was with him next night with and I was just never got into that that just was something really strange for me um, you know I dated people um, but then I uh, was having problems one time eating I kind of got a little too gross here but got constipated and some of the groupies had cocaine and they said here snort some of this because it's cut with vitamin B well it did the trick but at the same time 
when I did the coke, all of a sudden, it's like the world opened up to me. Yeah. I didn't understand what it was. I mean, at this point, I didn't know I had ADD. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, this is great. I wasn't high, but all of a sudden, I was out of this cloud. So next thing you know, I'm medicating myself, which uh, got worse and worse and worse to the point where my nickname was Snowman because wherever Mark went, it snowed because I always had plenty of Coke with me. How old were you when all this was going down? I was around 24 okay. to yeah. when I was 28. And then I think this is where God's hand came in. I, I woke up one morning at 28 going, this is great. I'm having fun. It's a blast. I'm seeing everywhere. But what am I going to do in 20 years when I'm 48? Am I going to be able to do this? So um, I decided to uh, leave that industry, played on a Friday, cut my hair, and went back into the manufacturing firm, my wow. dad's old company. I knew his, the guy who bought it, so yeah. I went back in, went back in, making parts again. Wow. How, how hard was that? Because, I mean, you guys were famous. Like, it's not, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're downplaying it a little bit, right? Like, your music is online. Like, you can listen to it, you know, and... Um, there are people in our church, maybe they wouldn't admit it, but they listened to you play drums with this band when they were, you know, in their twenties and in their thirties, four years in, you just quit. Like, how hard was that? Or did you feel like it was just so clear? Cause not everybody has the wake up call of, Hey, what am I going to do in 20 years? In fact, a lot of us get trapped in the life that we're in because we have no perspective of the future. And we don't think, what is this like if I want to get married? What is this like if I want to have kids? What is this like, you know, when I don't want to sleep on a bus anymore? But you're 28 years old and you're like, there's no future in this, or at least not a future that you want in this. Did you feel like that was just like easy or like it was just that clear that you're able to do it? Or was there some like internal wrestling with that? Well, I think the one thing that's kind of followed me through my life um, early on was just I never felt like I fit in. And I never understood it. And still at this point, I still didn't understand why. I just knew that in my heart, this wasn't who I was. Okay. I was playing the part. I was trying to be the cool. I used to get yelled at by the guys in the band because we'd do a set or something. I'd go out in the crowd and I'd find the four or five guys that are huddled in a corner that are all nerdy by themselves. Yeah. And go talk to them buying beers next thing you know the girls come over and start talking and then when i go to leave the girls are talking to them so i always felt like sure. i can help help sure. i don't know yeah. if it was good or bad yeah. but um <laughs> i'm sure they appreciate it right so it's okay <laughs> but i just felt like it, it never fit and um i think it, i think it was god's hand on me the whole time and yeah. just realized i couldn't continue to do this so i i walked away from the music Fortunately, though, or unfortunately, um, when we used to come in town, there was a band used to open us up. I knew the drummer because I used to work on his car when I was back in high school in the summers at my uncle's dealership. And he was thinking about leaving. I was looking for a part-time band, fell into that, worked out great. That's around the time I met Pam, had a blast in that band and had fun. But I, I left that industry, but the addiction with cocaine... Okay. I think intensified because okay. now I started working again. I had money. Mm -hmm. I was able to get it. I was able to get more of it and have it. But that that was the hardest part for me. I think leaving the music industry, um, it was somewhat difficult because when I left um, the Ravens, three weeks after I left, 
uh, they went to LA and record Raised on the Radio, which is in the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont yeah. High. And I was wanted to slip my wrists at that point. But yeah. then I look back and I look at where those guys are now. Yeah. Yeah. And they're it's a really tough life for them. Yeah. Some are gone, some aren't with us anymore. And yeah. you know, I lost my drum roadie ten years ago. Mm-hmm. That was he was a good guy. Yeah. But I'm glad I'm out of it. Yeah. Now I just feel like I'm you know, God's talent. I'm just playing for him and yeah. worshiping him and that's how I do it and I love doing that. Yeah. Now I'm gonna ask you what your faith was like during that season, but I do want to point out that Mark drums at Collective. And so um, it's not every day that a church has like a legit rock and roll drummer playing for them. Um, but what's really cool about that, and just to speak into to Mark and his drumming, is that um, you all, like while you were in like a, a rock band, um, the, there's, I know when you drum, there's this piece that you feel doing worship. And like some of the things that you didn't experience in the rock and roll scene, you do experience in the church. And it's, um, it's, you know, all the good things that we'll talk about, about soon. Um, so let's talk about this. When you were kind of in the band growing up in a Christian house, um, you know, having some good experiences, right? You mentioned you had some good relationships until your parents kind of stepped out of that. But a lot of it was kind of the, the rigidity of it. Um, when you were touring and doing band stuff, like, was faith a part of it? Like belief in God was there. Um, but did you go to church during that time at all? No, not at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, now maybe if I was in town and it was the holidays, yeah. I would go, but not on a regular basis. And I still, even though I knew there was a God and I felt like he had a hand on me, I was just never comfortable because I always felt like I was being judged. Sure. Um, you know, the, the typical thing that I hate that, I, I would never do to anybody is try to force the Bible or God down on them. I'm like, you know, you believe what you want. You can live your life. It's yeah. probably not the best, but um, I just hated being judged yeah. because they're just looking at my exterior and not who I really am. And that that's was a big struggle for me because yeah. I could never find a church that I felt comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, and that's know, a that's a church big, of rock and roll. Yeah, winds up being. Yeah, yeah, and you've you mentioned it earlier that like walking into a church, long hair, you know, even struggling with addiction, and the judgment you felt, and you know that as an experience as you try to find out you know who you are and God's given you the gift of music, right? It's one of those tensions we feel. God gives us this gift, and we're like trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, and then people see your long hair and go, Oh, you don't belong here, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, sadly, you know, it doesn't happen exactly that way, but it still happens that way in church, you know? And so a lot of the judgment you felt was not theoretical. It was real people literally looking down on you because of the way you looked without ever, you know, figuring out who you were or hearing your heart. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that sucks. Yeah. It's interesting because I know uh, one of the things Pam always said to me, which kind of, opened my eyes a lot was that my talent took me further than my character could handle. Sure. Because I think there was always, God was always pulling on me and I was always pulling against him. Yeah. And I think I won that tug of war or he let me win that tug of war to let me fall off the cliff to realize that this is not who you are. Yeah. Okay. So you start working again, the drug addiction's still there. Mm -hmm. You know, for both of you guys, talk us to the point where you end up meeting. 
um, and kind of what's going on in your lives at that point um, because they're very different. Well, I was when I finished playing full time, I was playing in a part time band. The band's name was Lucifer. So. <laughs> That's kind of ironic. And it wasn't for the it was it was for the strike of the match. So. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> right. Um, and the, the bass player, and I guess because still at this point, I don't know. I have ADD, yeah. so I migrated to the bass player who had mental health issues. It just seems like that's what you do. So he was dating a girl who was one of Pam's best friends. They came. I think I, I met Pam in like November of 1983. Just. We were at a band job, and they were all there. Mm-hmm. It's like six girls around the table, and they, they introduced me to them all, and I'm still the, okay, well, there's six girls. I just can't go talk to them kind of thing. Sure. But then it was New, New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, we're playing at a bar trying to, with my younger brother and I trying to quit cocaine. So I had like a, this is terrible to say, I had a quarter ounce of cocaine, which is like a, sandwich bag full of coke and we decided we were going to do all that that night and be done well so obviously i was flying high playing and i look out and i had seen pam before never but i look out and she doesn't believe me but i swear there was just this light shining down yeah and she just stood out like i'm supposed to meet this person and i had pretty much given up on dating i mean the groupies and you know i had drugs and they used and abused yeah but it was New Year's Eve, and I thought she was really cute. And so in my shy, quiet way, she used to smoke cigarettes. She had a balloon, so I popped the balloon with the cigarette. And I always tell her I saved her for the last person I gave a New Year's Eve kiss to. But that's kind of how, how we met. And she can tell you what she saw when there was a bomb scare. I'll let her take over from there. This, yeah, this is, there's a bomb this, scare. She's, she, her degree is what saved me. Yeah. There, yeah. there was a bomb scare because we always have weird things happen. Yes. Oh, and, okay, so hold on. Let me pause here for a second yeah. because I joke with Mark and Pam all the time that they need to have a podcast where they just share stories <laughs> because they've been through some of the most ridiculous things. And we'll just be sitting at weddings and Mark's like, hey, did I tell you about the time when this guy I knew was found at the bottom of a lake with rocks in his pockets? Like, I'm not, this is insane. So sorry, you're going to have to wait for the Mark and Pam podcast to come out later. Um, But so the bomb scare, was it that night? It was that night. Okay. It was, it was in the eighties. It was in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, Which like, it became really unusual. But one of the things was because I had just recently quit playing full time, I didn't have a lot of money. So my drums and I owned the whole PA. So pretty much everything that I had in my life was in that club that we had to exit. Okay. Plus I'm flying high. Yeah. Yeah, so we all had to exit. <laughs> we were in a huge parking area, and there was hundreds of people there. Um, and my friend wanted to talk to his friend, so she was kind of had made her way over. And I looked, and she said, "Well, what do you think about the drummer?" And I looked, and I said, "Ooh, he's flying high, man. Yeah. He's on something. Yeah. I don't know what short it is. Short sleeves, shirt, and shorts, and it's winter time. And yeah. he was bopping all over the place, and he was just flying high. And I, you know, at that point." I was in my program as far as drug and substance abuse, and I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I definitely don't want to know what it is, and I'm not interested at all. Um, So he, as he said, he he gave me a kiss, but I didn't think anything of it because I was kissing everybody because that's what I did back then. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, you know, I was just like, have fun, woohoo. Mark is like, this is my last New Year's kiss. I was like, it's not. No, I was just like kissing everybody. So, um, and then about a week, Later, we went um, to a ladies' night 
it was a Thursday night. It was seven bucks all you can drink. And it was at a club. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm there. I was, you know, in college. My friend and I were in college together. And um, I was sitting at the bar. And Mark fell into me. Literally wow. fell into me. I was me. pushed into her okay. by my friend. Um, yeah, because you wouldn't have done that. You weren't smooth enough to do that. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and he sat and just started talking to me. And we probably talked for uh, the entire break. Wow. Um, and then a week later, he called me and he asked me out. And honestly, at that point, I was like, well, I'm broke. I'm going to have to eat. So a free dinner, yeah. sure, this will be interesting. <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened. Little did you know, Mark has yeah. no money. Has yeah. no money. So you know where right. this marriage is going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, had no money. So that's kind of <clears throat> how it evolved. Wow. Um, yeah. So like, you know, he's, sh- well, I guess, did you know, like you knew he was high that night on New Year's Eve, but did you know he was struggling I did with not. addiction? Okay. I did not. And he concealed it for a really long time. Um, and the way that I found out was, he said there was there was a big music store, music house where all the musicians that came into town and, and who were in town would go and get their stuff. And I we knew one of the guys and he said, I have to stop to get something. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever, yeah. you know. So we stopped there and I was sitting in the living room and he said, I'll be right back. And I thought he was going to get something. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I thought, this is ridiculous. So I walk upstairs, I throw open the door as he's leaning over getting wow. ready to do a line of Coke. And I looked at him and I ran downstairs. I grabbed my coat and my purse and it was in the winter. And I just started walking. Wow. And we were in a really bad section of Baltimore. And he's like, well, what are you doing? And I said to him, I would rather get shot in the middle of Baltimore than be in a relationship with a drug addict. Yep. And he said that changed something in you. I don't know if that was the case or what happened, mm-hmm. but that's how I found out. Wow. And you guys were just dating at the time. We were yeah. we were dating at the time, and I, you know I was walking down North Avenue. People yeah. know Baltimore. Well, yeah. no, North Avenue is a bad area, mm-hmm. and I was like, eh, I'd rather I'd rather not make it than yeah. be in a relationship because I had been around that my whole yeah. life. Yep. And I didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. So that's kind of where that that landed. Mark, how did how did you respond to that? <clears throat> well, there was something about her that I loved. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't again, you know, have an ADD. I didn't get social norms. I didn't understand that stuff, but I just knew there was something there and I was going to protect her. Yeah. So it went after her and got her. And then just, I guess it's just like with music, it clicked in me and I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And I just stopped it. Yeah. I don't, I, again, that's God's hand. I don't know how I did it. It, it was more of a self-medication thing than anything. Um, now, if I think about that sense from cocaine, I, I want to get sick yeah. from it. Well, and you, you, a lot of times when you see people that are using, it's to fill voids, mm-hmm. right? It helped you be social. It helped you. All those things that like life had told you is wrong. You know, you love music. It's wrong. Well, but if I'm in a rock band, then it's right. And, you know, I'm socially awkward. But if I'm doing drugs, I have less fear or even just less awareness that other people thought you were socially awkward or, you know, you experience judgment wherever you go. And so you put yourself in a place where it's like, I don't care what people think about me. And so, you know, all these things that have happened in your life and the ways like that internal feeling, music, drugs, whatever it may be. And, and, you know, for people listening, it's, it can be sex, it can be alcohol, it can be work. Even, you know, we have that void, those, those pain points, you know, uh, one of the terms we'll use is like a shadow, this thing in your life. And you're just like, well, I don't like this feeling. Don't know why I feel this way. 
let me do these other things that make me not feel this way. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you realize really with Pam, crap, there's something there. And here's this person who doesn't think I'm socially awkward. Maybe she does, but like doesn't care, you know, and loves you for you. And, you know, is cool with you being in a band, but not being in a band. It, It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, like, you're like, oh crap, the thing I'm looking for isn't found in career, drugs, women. It's found in you know, a person that loves me when really, and then the baseline of that is what you guys both have is this like deep rooted sense of faith in you that like really does help you control and and move forward in that. So you guys continue dating. What was that like for you? Cause like, even though he stopped, Mm -hmm. that still has to be scary. Yeah. I mean, I think when he stopped and kind of watching him, I took him at his word. Um, because growing up, you know, as you well know, when you, you grow up as a child of an alcoholic, trust is a huge issue. You don't trust people, but Mark, I trusted, I, you know, I did. He, he was the one person I can honestly say at that point that I trusted that if he told me he wasn't going to do it, okay, I believe you're not going to do it. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't so concerned about the, the Coke anymore, but there was still a lot of remnants of rock and roll. Like if sure. we, I remember going to a huge club, going to listen to a concert and um, walking in and he kind of walked by and he, he said to the woman, hey, I'm on the guest list. And she said, you sure are. And she jumped across <laughs> this kind of partition and jumped at him and just started like, oh, he knew her from yeah. his previous life. And I thought, well, that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know who this woman is. And she's kind of, so that was, there was a lot of that. Yep. There was a lot of being uncertain about the past and kind of what's what's going on there and what's yeah. happening there. But I, again, I, I trusted him. He told yeah. me this is what it is. And I'm like, all right, cool. Wow. I believe you. Mm-hmm. Wow. I believe and it's you. interesting because it's, you know, Pam wanted to escape her life of her family. And I wanted to escape my life that I had. And I saw security in her she saw security in me and yeah. those two worlds kind of collided. And- mm-hmm. Yeah. Which on paper, you know, if you just write down like alcoholic mother went to school for, you know, psychology, dealing with substance abuse and addiction, you know, Mark on your side, rock and roll, cocaine addiction. People don't say, you know what? They should get together, <laughs> you know? And so there had to be something more there, right. which, you know, you guys, Biblically, it's this phrase called providence, right? This idea that God is weaving something together like a tapestry and we don't know it until we step back and then we see this like beautiful thing that he's doing. And like, that's essentially what you guys are like alluding to in your life. There's this like providential thing that God's doing. You just don't know it yet and you don't know where it's going to go and you don't know any of those things, but you, you feel that peace and you feel that hope and you feel those things of God, even though you're not quite sure what it is. Um, so how long did you guys date for? A long time. Six years. Whoa. <laughs> we dated for six years before we got we got engaged. And then we were engaged in September and got married the following June. Wow. So once we pulled the trigger, we got married very quickly. Yeah. Was it like a, it's not smooth, was it a straight six years or was there like kind of? No. I, um, I always had the attitude, and I conveyed it to Mark, um, if I'm not married and I'm not engaged, I can see whoever I want to see. Just be discreet. Same thing with you. Just be discreet. Yeah. Um, so I think we we were we were discreet. I think we never really had huge issues with that. Although, right before we got engaged, it had been six years. 
I was at that point I was starting pharmacy and pharmacy is an extraordinarily intense program so you don't have a lot of you don't have a a large margin to deal with anything Um, so I I basically said to Mark all right look we either get married or we don't if we're not if you're not interested in getting married I'm out yeah and he's like well I'm not really interested at this point so I said I'm out so we uh, stopped seeing each other for about three months and that was hell for me that yeah. was i guess in december after i had finished my first semester he said hey let's go out to dinner i said sure we hadn't seen each other we went out to dinner and we just started talking and we started talking about if we were ever to marry who would be in our wedding party and he looked at me and he said i think we should get married and wow. i said yeah i think we should too let's do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened wow mm-hmm. wow yeah so it was it was like other things kind of unusual sure um what year did you guys get married? 1990. How old were you guys at the time? There's been a lot of life. It, so it feels like you guys could be in your mid to late 30s, but you weren't. Right? No, I was 25. Oh, my God. Um, no, and I was 34. He was 34. Yeah. Mark's nine years older yeah. than I am. So I was, you know, I think 25 was, it felt like a good age to sure. get married. Mm-hmm. And at that point, my life was very, I, I was a planner. I was calculated. Okay. You know, if I can control it, then I can keep myself safe. Yep. Yep. So that was all part of it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you, you get married. What is faith like then? Right. Cause, and cause do you guys know, you know, you've been together for six years before you got married, you know, a little bit of like the church background in each other was church and faith a part of your life when you guys first got married. Like what was, you know, you mentioned talking about like, there's kind of a belief in God, kind of not like had that changed at all. We went to my family's church to talk to our pastor about getting married. <clears throat> in the typical hypocritical essence, he goes, I would rather marry two non-believers than a Protestant and a Catholic. Why? So I pretty much looked at him. I gave him the yeah. the, the United States middle finger salute. Yeah. Pretty much told him to take the church in certain terms and where he could put it and walked out. Yeah. And then, Didn't go back until our... Our Life issues. fell apart yeah. in 2004. Yeah. So for 14, 14 years, wow. I was, I was, I told my it's like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Now I got short hair. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have a home. I'm getting married and this guy doesn't want to do this. And then we go to the church where I grew up, which wasn't the PCA. It was a little more, the pastor was great. He said, yeah, you can let the, your Catholic priest come in and, we can do the wedding together, and it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, it, it was great. You know, it's crazy. I've never heard of like an evangelical church having that stance on on marriage when you know there's two different upbringings. I've heard it in the Catholic Church before, um, and even like you know people who are it's like one grew up culturally Jewish but not religiously, and there's and they want to bring that custom and culture into their marriage. I've never heard of an evangelical church saying, I would rather marry two non-believers than two people who believe but just come from different backgrounds. That's crazy. Yeah, he looked at us and said, I refuse to marry you. Mm-hmm. Those were the words he used. I refuse to marry you. So we said, all right. And that was a tipping point for me. I was like, <laughs> okay, then, then the, if, if this is what God's supposed to be like, then I don't want anything to do with this anymore. Yeah. I mean, all of, your whole entire experience up until that point, and again, you did have some good experience and some mm-hmm. good community that you're pulled out of, but your whole entire experience up to that point was judgment, mm-hmm. like without even knowing either of you at all, or even, you know, what you are trying to do 
you know, if you're getting married in the church, there's a part of you that's saying, hey, like, we do want faith to be a part, at least from the beginning. Don't know what that's going to look like. But that for me, I haven't heard that part of your story. It makes more sense now why you guys lean into marriages so much, um, which we're going to talk about, you know, for both of you guys, just what you've gone through and specifically Mark, like the fact that so much of your life up until the point of Pam is in people judging you without ever knowing you. And I really struggle with that because I mean, I only know this Mark, like I don't know that Mark, but when we make judgments based on the way people look and we don't ever take time to get to know their heart, like it's insane. And sucks to be those people who missed out on the heart of you two as, as people, but that kills me. And I hate that so much. And I hate that it came from Christians more than anybody else, because so much of scripture talks about the condition of our heart and God judges us based on the condition of our heart. What's the point of the church existing if lost and broken people can't be a part of it? They're not welcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's basically what we were told. You're not welcome. Pam. Yeah. Because of your background mm-hmm. and because, you know, the way you looked. I don't know. It just goes against everything that I know about Jesus and who he was. Like even people who he knew were not living righteously, he still didn't push them away. In fact, he pushed those people away. He would judge, you know, Mm -hmm. those unrighteous people. Um, And so the fact that you guys even end up going back to church is insane. And the fact that, you know, when your marriage hits that point, you guys lean in is, is, kind of remarkable and so I definitely want to dig into that so here's what we're going to do we're going to actually pause right there and you know it's a cliffhanger episode it's what we do best uh, with two-parters and when we come back next week for part two of Mark and Pam's story um, we're going to talk a lot about marriage we're going to talk about faith why they chose to turn back to faith when their marriage was struggling and ultimately what I want you guys to hear is how that impacts their life today. And so thank you for listening to this episode. Sorry for leaving you on the hook. We're gonna have to come back next week to listen to part two. Thank you.